me and Lee just had a quick meeting, and kids are going to stay in here today. So settle in for the ride, ladies and germs. That's why we're leaving them in here. I'll be brief. As a matter of church life, I'm one of those ministers that believes that everything begins and ends in the way that we care for each other. I just don't imagine a church that functions in any way outside of how we care for one another and how we care for the world that Jesus has given his life to save. That is everything. And from my perspective, that, that means pastoral care. Pastoral care um, is, is a subject that's particularly near and dear to my heart. And um, if you were here last week, you heard me make my great confession and repentance of how I've neglected that to the degree, uh, to some degree, at least to the level that I wish I had uh, been functioning earlier. And I've done something about that, and I'm so glad that I have, because it's reminded me that we've been called by God to be a nation of priests. Um, In Exodus 19, that is what God declared to His people before He ever gave them the law, before He ever did anything else. He said, I've called you out, you that are such a little people, such a small people, that I've called out to be my people. But not just so that you could receive my love. I mean, you have my love. God's, that's what Hesed is in the Old Testament, that idea of love. It's steadfast. You have that. There's no way that that's ever going to change for you. But what I've called you to be is something quite unique in the world. And that is to be mediators for me to to a sinful people. And to offer them my love and for you to bring to me their lives. That's what it boiled down to and that's what the people in uh, the desert who had nothing but God they'd had no belongings that they took with them they they had nothing but God and that that's what he called them to be and he was going to provide everything for them and that didn't work out all that great Uh, but it's no different for us Peter reminds the church that we're called to be a royal priesthood so that means that we're not only priests, but we're part of the royal household of priests. We are the people that God has placed in the world to offer His care and His love to the world. And so to imagine being a Christian and not caring about others is, is it's impossible to do. Uh, you have to back up and, and think again about what you're calling yourself, who you claim to be what God has done in your life if you're, if you're unable to genuinely care for people. And we're not left without definition, and we're going to look at that this morning because we can't care without love and understanding what that is. And uh, real quickly, love is not this thing that we've made it into being in our, in our very practical socio system that we live in as human beings. We want to feel things we want to feel love. We've, we've, we've kind of made this idea that I have to really be invested into someone emotionally uh, before I can love them. Uh, that's why 
we see today that um, so often people aren't willing to make that emotional investment into people. So we don't really, even the way that we understand love for it to be, it, it falls apart and unravels quickly uh, because that takes a lot of work. Emotional energy is, is difficult in a, in a relationship between two people. And God's love that he describes for us to have for one another even goes beyond all that. That's a very, that, that emotional type of love that we often find ourselves wanting to exercise is very tiresome and, and, and it drains us, but we hope that we receive some, something back in that that refills us. What God has called us to do is to love as an action only. That we're not really brought into that whole idea that love has to be this thing that we have to emotionally attach ourselves to first in order for the expression of love to mean anything. That love becomes the action of God. God acts and all that we understand His action to be is love for us, right? So when He disciplines us, we're told that that's love for us. When, when we're blessed... We're told that it's love for us. When we're given something to do, and he says, I'm going to be there with you, that's a, that's a communication of how much I love you. All of those things begin to add up for us as a way of living our life together as a church and also in the world. But we sometimes doubt our capacity to love the way that God intends for us to love. And so... As we doubt our capacity to love, we can't really follow through with everything that that Jesus has asked us to do as his brothers and sisters. We have to accept that we have a great capacity to act in love as he has for us. Now, what does Paul say about us? He says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, so a sinner in that perspective to God is God's greatest enemy. It's sin that brought everything that's wrong in the world. Is how it's, that's how it came into being is through sin. And when Paul says that we're the sinners, that means that we're the generators of that. If you're a football player, you're the one in the game playing, playing the football game. But if I just like football, I'm not in the game. I'm watching it. Well, sinners is the same way. We're all in the game. We're all enemies of God because our hearts are corrupt. But then it says that while we were that way before God, Christ comes and he dies for us. Now, why does he do that? John 3.16 reminds us that God so loved the world Everything that there is that had been affected by this sin. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish in this world of sin but would have eternal life. And so 1 John goes on to tell us that why, why God does this. He does it because he loves us. So when we understand how to love and we understand that our capacity to love is meant to care for other people and to bring them nearer to the heart of God, that should define everything about our life, right? That should be the, the that's the 30,000 foot 
view of our life that fits into God's story. Uh, a few years back, we did a study called The Story, and it was, it was a great thing that Max Licato and uh, I don't even remember the main writer name that put it together, but it, it helped us to imagine how our story fit into God's story. And our story fits into God's story at the point that we love and care for one another and the world that Christ has given his life for. That's our life. So you're not a, you're not a contractor or a painter or an accountant or a teacher. You are a person that cares for the church and the world that Christ gave his life for, no matter what it takes, no matter what that means. So this is our capacity. Uh, Jesus describes it in, um, in Luke. Bet you, I'm not in Mark today. We're taking a break from Mark. But in Luke chapter 6, we all know the verses about loving your enemy. And there's, this passage is subheaded out as loving your enemy. But it, it describes really the capacity that human beings have to love. Now, Jesus is not talking to the church here. He's not talking to his disciples He's speaking to a broad group of people. This is a human capacity. Okay? There's a human capacity that exists that God is ready to make use of and fill with His love through us. So this is your capacity no matter where you are in life, no matter what has happened to you in life, no matter how good or how bad it's been, no matter the people that you meet, Uh, You can imagine every circumstance in life does not change your capacity that Jesus is describing here for you. This is the great wealth of life that he's given us that he can work with when we allow it to happen. And we're going to look at another passage in John in a minute. This is just background. I'm not going to spend any time in this. I just want you to listen to what Jesus is saying about your capacity to love your capacity to act in a way that brings about a phenomenal change in the lives of people and in your own life. But I say to you who listen, love your enemies, do what is good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you, and from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. I want you to listen. What's not being said in this passage? There's a way not to be a sinner. You hear that? 
even sinners do this, even sinners do that. I've offered you a life that's better than that. If you have ears to listen. He goes on. But love your enemies. Do what is good. And lend expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High. For He is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful. Just as your Father is also merciful. Do not judge and do not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured out in your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can the blind man guide the blind? Won't they both? fall into a pit a disciple is not above his teacher but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye or how can you say to your brother brother let me take out the splinter that is in your eye when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your eye hypocrite Ooh, we hate that word. First, take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the splinter in your brother's eye. And then in John chapter 13, in verse 31. When he had left, when Judas had left, this is the night that Jesus was betrayed. When Judas had left, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. Children, I'm with you a little while longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new command. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So we know what our capacity is. We're able to love our enemies. That's an important thing. We're able to look, we're able to overlook the offenses that are done to us because we have something better to offer back. We also learn in our capacity that In the midst of trying to help another, we must first help ourselves. We must first be free of the very thing that we believe is wrong in in our brother or sister or person. We must be free of that so that we can most effectively take care of them. The idea is to make ourselves whole so that we have the capacity to make them whole. 
that we are able to care in a way that reflects God's love in their life. And so we get to this place in John where Jesus is about to leave them, and he's told them, you can't go where I'm going. And notice that he says, I'm telling you now what I told the Jews. Well, he's speaking to a room full of Jews. So what is he trying to convey to them? There's now a difference between you and them. The, the Jewish leaders, I've told them this because they cannot go where I am going for different reasons that you cannot go. But the result is the same. I will be gone, but there's only going to be a few that will receive the gift that I'm going to provide. And that is the ones that believe and trust in me. Okay, so how do we know who that is? And Jesus makes it clear here. But before we get to this very middle part that we're going to just look at briefly, we have to look beyond where I read to Peter because poor Peter didn't hear the part about loving. He heard the part that I can't go with you. And the next thing we hear Peter say is, what do you mean I can't go with you? I'll go anywhere with you. I'll die for you. You know, so all the platitudes and all the hyperbole that, you know, we come up with, we'll do anything for Jesus. We want to be where Jesus is and this and that. And he's saying, hey, listen, you know what? You won't even make it through the night. If you, if you think that you're going to be able to overcome what's wrong in you, you haven't got the log out of your eye yet, Peter. You will, and you'll be able to help others, but it's still there. This is still too much about Peter and not enough about me. But sandwiched in the midst of that is the truth of who we are. Jesus always is there to help us with who we are. He is always there so that the capacity that is created within us can be filled and overflow like streams of living water in a thirsty land. This is how we know that we are His disciples. This is how we know that we are the ones that receive the gift that allows for our lives to be overflowing with Him. That we love one another. I give you a new command. And then in the Greek, you would say it like this. Loving one another. It's an active participle. More, more English, brother. Sorry. It's an active participle that begins and never ends. It's an action that goes on forever. Loving one another. So the command is this. You don't just love now and maybe later. You're going to start later and carry on from then. This is a thing that he says, to be my disciple. You know me now. You have an eagerness to be with me now. You've seen everything that is possible with me. Now, this is, this is the way all of this comes to life for you. Loving one another. There's no way around it. And this is agapeapon, which is the word, the participle word for agape. And we like the word agape because it says that there's an unconditional love for us from God. Only we don't like it sometimes when we're reminded that that's the unconditional love that we have for others. That's why when Jesus says to love your enemies, he's not waiting on you to have an emotional affection about that. He's saying act in your love because it is my love. If you're going to act in love and you're a disciple, you act in my love, not in the, not in the definition that you've 
come to believe that love is. So acting in love means that you that you that you'll die for your enemy. That's my love. That you will do whatever for your enemy. Well, he's not even talking about enemies here. He's talking about one another. We love one another. We act in our love for each other as though it is the last best thing that we will ever do and accomplish in this life. That's our life for one another. Loving one another. He clarifies that. Just as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. Some more English. Just as I have loved, and and if you ever take Greek, they'll call that the, the divine passive in the Greek. And what that means is that this is God acting, and He's acted, and it's done, and it's forever, and you never can change it. So when he says that as I have loved you, he's meaning that the love that you're experiencing from me is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's the power of, of my life. What I have come to do is show you the Father's love. And I am saying to you that you are to love in the same way. This is the power of your life. Um, one of the energy companies use as as a slogan. I don't know if it's energy or Clico or whoever I've heard, but they say the power of your life. This is the power of our life. To love as Jesus loved. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Okay. Think of, think of how amazing the world would be. Any church would be. If, that, if we allowed that capacity to overflow onto other people. Just imagine that. How wonderful that would be. Imagine, imagine if you gave to the church. I'm talking about tithe dollars offerings. If you gave to the church in such a way that you understood and knew that, that those dollars are going to be for the exercising of Christ's love in the world for the church and for others that he's given his life for. That those, that those dollars become agents of, of love in action, become agents of change in the world. Then you would want to act in that way if the church is serving in some sort of way that is significant to the expression of Christ's love in the world. You would want to be a part of that. Because that's, that, by definition, is the expression of your life with Christ. If the church is a whole, I mean, the universal church, is out busy doing the things that say, this is the expressive love of God through Christ that is meant to change the world, you would want to be a part of that. That's what it means to love one another. <laughs> it also means that it takes a great investment. There was nothing easy about what Jesus did. Second Philippians, I mean, Philippians 2 tells us that what did Jesus have to do in order to express God's love for us? He had to empty himself fully to, to do what he did. Everything that he was in glory for eternity, he did away with so that he could accomplish the love of God for us 
on the cross. That's what he did. It cost him greatly. Did he get it back? Of course he did. Will we get it back? Of course we will. That's what Luke 6 was just saying. When you give in any way, you're going to get it back, only it's going to be more than you gave. It's going to be a by measure that's packed down, pressed. And, this, and it's a beautiful thing because God doesn't hide any of this. He dumps it out in your lap. I mean, I love that expression in there. This is the kind of thing that comes back to you, and it's extravagant. This is what is available for us when we, ex- when we live out of and exercise the life of love. Steadfast, everlasting love that God has created us with the ability to love. When we ignore that, imagine a vessel and the longer it stays empty, the smaller it becomes. Kind of like the Kind of like the Chia Pet thing in reverse. <laughs> you ever seen them things? Yeah. I got one in high school for Christmas. It may have been my little sister that gave it to me. I don't know. It grew hair. It swelled up. Got 1,700 times bigger than it, what it was. All of that. Well, this is the opposite of that. When we choose, when we choose to ignore the capacity that God has made possible for us to love, eventually the vessel that we are to love contracts and contracts and contracts to the point to where it takes a miracle to change us. It just takes, it takes God intervening in a way. And that happens to us. We become dry. It's kind of like the old wineskins. Just can't make use of them. We don't want to become that. And this is why. The last part of this verse, verse 35. You love in this way. You love others the way I loved you. You love with the full capacity that you're able to love. You act in a way that overcomes all of your biases, all of your opinions, all of those things that that you're emotionally attached to, and you just do it. Okay? And, and, And God sees that, and He blesses that. Because that's what he's made you to be and that's what he's yearned for you to be all this time. You do those things as a believer and follower in Jesus. And he says, that's how they'll know you belong to me. That's how they'll know that I was your teacher. And that you decided that you weren't greater than me. You allowed everything that I was to fill you. That's what the parable says, right? Is that what the parable says? (laughs) What it said? Everyone will know. Everyone will know. Have you ever felt as though your Christianity has been questioned by someone? I have had my question. And you know when it was questioned? When I was living a life all about me and I wasn't expressing the love of God to other people. People can, you can smell a skunk when a skunk's around. I got sprayed by a skunk when I was eight years old. That don't leave you for a while. Everybody knows you've been sprayed by a skunk. If they've ever smelled a skunk. Okay, so 
We have to make up our minds. Everyone will know that you're my disciples if you're loving one another. That means everybody here has the capacity to care for one another. No matter what happens, no matter the circumstance. Everybody has the capacity to take their own plank out of their eye the, so they can get the splinter out of their brother's eye because we've been given the capacity to do so. And that is the church. In fact, Paul says, you can, you can have all the fancy theology, you can have all the fancy words, you can have all the titles, all the stuff, and if you don't have love, you don't have anything. Everybody likes to debate James and Paul about faith and works, works and faith and all of that. All James is saying is, if you have faith and your love is not active, if you're not if it's not an activity that's being expressed in the world that's filling up other people's lives with the goodness of God, you, know, you really don't have a faith. You're just kind of giving lip service like the clinging symbol over there that Paul's talking about. It's got to be alive in you. It's got to be a thing that, that people see and know and feel so that they'll know, they'll know to whom you belong. There's not a believer in this room, I, I believe there's not a believer in this room, that would say, I'm, really, I'm not really interested if people know I'm a follower of Jesus or not. I don't think there's a one of you that would be satisfied with that statement. To be able to say, even to yourself or out loud, I'm just really not concerned if people know that I am a follower of Jesus or not. I think most of you in this room will be able would want to be able to say this, that I am a follower of Jesus and that my life has been shaped by my teacher and my master and everything that I am, in fact, every way that you see me act, everything about my life is just Christ's love in me because I want to love you the way that he loves you. If, if we could say that to each other, and if the world could hear that regularly from the church in a unified, loud voice, man, you would see a lot of things change in this world. Which is exactly what priests do. They change the world. Let's pray.